Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. A retired naval officer beheaded a statue in a satanic holiday display. I'm not quite sure how that's a holiday display because it's the antithesis of what we're celebrating in a holiday, but it is an interesting story. And whether you have thoughts on that topic, it does say something about tearing down false idols, tearing down idols, the things that we worship wrongly in our own lives as we prepare the way for Christ's advent. So stay with me as we dive into that story that's been all over the news over the last week. Also, Toward the end of the liturgical year and the beginning of the liturgical year, we tend to take our focus in the church toward some pretty serious things, believe it or not, right before Christmas, and that is death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And so today in a four-part series on what are referred to by the church as the four last things, we're going to dive into the topic of death along with the joyful expectation of Christ. Joining me today on Trending is Father Matthew Spencer. You may know and love him from some time ago now here on Trending. Father Matthew Spencer used to host St. Joseph's Workshop here on Relevant Radio, actually during this exact time slot. And he is, serves now as the provincial of his congregation, the Oblates of St. Joseph. Father Spencer, it's well, wonderful to have you back with us. Timory, it's a real joy. Thanks for having me. Happy Advent to you. Happy Advent. When we were preparing for this season of Christmas, we sometimes skip ahead to Christmas and miss this Advent season. And part of what I love, Father, during this Advent season are the themes surrounding the candles of the Advent wreath. And we just celebrated Godate Sunday, which is that Sunday of joy. We finally light that pink candle on the advent wreath and it stands for joy as we're in this anticipation of christmas and i know not for everyone is this season maybe always fun and games lights and decorations and good food but sometimes there's an absence of seeming happiness and even sorrow or fear yet that's kind of um i think when we're we have a difficult time father entering into the spirit of the season it's because we're getting the picture wrong when it comes to what Christmas is all about. And so I'd love to dive into this topic of entering into joyful expectation of Christ, no matter what may or may not be going on in our own lives. Yeah, I, that, that's a really good point, Timory. And I, I see that, especially in my ministry as a priest, which I, I think I wasn't aware of how many people are actually suffering during holiday mm. seasons until I, until I became a priest, because... Well, if you've gone through some great loss and if you've experienced the loss of a loved one in particular, then when the holidays come around, it, it just really sharpens the focus on, on that reality in your life. And you miss them a lot and you, um, you feel their absence much more acutely in this time of year. Um, but we are called to rejoice, as, as you said. And yesterday as we celebrated Gaudete Sunday, I think it's a reminder that our joy 
does come not from circumstances being perfect and not from our lives going the way we expect, but the, we rejoice because the Lord is near, right? We rejoice because he's, his promises are, are at hand. And, and we know that even in those sufferings that we experience, even in the crosses we bear and the difficulties we're, we're carrying, we know that, that Christ can overcome all of this. So, yeah, that does take a real intentional effort, though, doesn't it? We, don't, we sometimes just wait for joy to wash over us and then we're fine. But a lot of times, Timory, I think we have to work at it. We have to struggle and wrestle with it and then decide to, to embrace joy rather than uh, sorrow. And someone might say, Father, that it's fake. Like maybe you don't feel so happy with that's fake. And I think that's maybe the challenge is that we often confuse happiness with joy. Happiness being an emotion that's transient, just such as sorrow and fear can come and go. So can happiness versus joy is not an emotion. It transcends emotions. It's a virtue. It's one of the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit, and it's a grace. And it's interesting to me because I've really been thinking about this, how a lot of people, even in their suffering, even their challenge, or even in general, if you look at the year, I sometimes feel as if Christmas can bring out the best in a lot of people, both in Christian and secular society, even with the spirit of parties and lights and Christmas trees and gift giving, it can be a season of sacrificial joy. And I see that in how I think many people live sometimes their best life at Christmas and even during that Advent season because they're in that season of camaraderie and drawing other people in and often seeing other people not just as a means to an end, but as a, a means to give something to during this season. And so I thought it might be neat to dive into a little bit of how joy is so fundamental, uh, how sacrifice is so fundamental to our joy as Christians. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, an important point because the reason we rejoice is precisely because Jesus died and rose for us. <laughs> and the, the death of Jesus is not something by itself that we rejoice over, but rather that he, he died and rose. And so these two realities go together, hand in hand, for us as Christians. But it does make the cross a little more understandable when we see the resurrection. It's still largely a mystery, right? It's still largely uh, for uh, something we have to unpack and uncover and discover in our lives. But we can be joyful. We can see uh, life as a blessing along with the crosses that we bear because we can see that there is new life in them. There is resurrection after them. And so I, I think for us, Timory, as Christians, uh, joy is always accompanied by sorrow. Joy always comes mm -hmm. with crosses. I mean, these two things are, are inseparable, and, and that's because of original sin, I think. It's because of the fallen state of the world. It's not because God uh, always wants us to experience some sorrow along with joy. It's just because that's the nature of things until, until the, all creation is renewed. Uh, but these two things do go together, which which helps to temper our our elation. So we're not just, you know, as you said, just faking it and pretending that everything's fine. No, it helps us to see life really as it is, uh, but also helps us to be able to see our crosses through the lens of joy and to see our sufferings and sorrows through the lens of the resurrection. And I, I agree with you. I mean, this time... Uh, holiday seasons, especially Christmas, I think, 
can really bring out the best in us if we are willing to to see through the sorrow and see through the pain towards the joy that that is promised us in the Christ child. And that that can be hard when there's the stress of our uh, holiday celebrations, when there's the losses that we sometimes focus on all the more. Uh, but this is the this is the task of us as Christians, right? I mean, I really think, Timory, this is why the church gives us the third Sunday of Advent, which we celebrated this weekend, uh, to to invite us to be more intentional uh, about being joyful people in the world. And it doesn't mean plastering a smile on our face and pretending that things are fine when they're not. It means allowing a smile to emerge because in our hearts, we know that things will be fine, right? And so the smile and the joy that that radiates from us, it, it can be natural and authentic, even when there's trial and struggle, because we know that we can look at these things through Christ himself. And I keep thinking about it, Father, in the midst of Christmas is the coming of a baby. And babies bring joy. I mean, even just looking at a baby, they represent innocence, total dependence. I I have two little ones, and they are emotional terrorists. And yet, at the same time as they're emotional terrorists, because they, they don't have control over their emotions, they're so quick and easy to delight in what is good. I think babies have this natural sense of joy, which makes sense because joy is ultimately a grace. And it always helps me when I think of joy as a grace. It's a gift, a total and complete gift. And I think babies, like they have that. They have that. We have that as human beings from our very creation. Like God gives us this wonderful gift, yet the world tends to dampen it and darken it. And isn't this the season in Advent where we're bringing light into this liturgical season from the candles, from the Christmas tree, from the lights on our houses, that that life is a representation of the new life of Christ, that anticipation and ultimately that hope that we also desperately need. And I think that's inspiring when we start to see, okay, let's carve out not just time during the season, but time in our lives to cultivate joy through sacrifice as we see those who prepared the way for Christ did before him. You know, just yesterday, Timory, some members of our shrine community uh, gave birth to their first born child. And, um, the the um, grandparents sent me a, a picture of this little child. Bella is her name, and I have to tell you, it was I when I saw this picture of Bella, I I was looking just amazed at at the at the characteristics on her face of the the fur that was you know <laughs> evident on her on her. She was born a few weeks premature on the the uh just her tiny fingers and her little lips and all i mean it's just amazing and it's so mysterious you look at you look at this tiny creature made in the image and likeness of god and who cannot wonder at at you know god's beauty and the beauty of creation and the the beauty of the human person and i think that's it's a it's a glimpse into why jesus came as a child to to open up our minds to the awe and the mystery that that mankind is, and then to invite us to ponder that that God enters into this reality, you know, enters into this this moment. So I I totally agree with you. You know, there's something amazing about about tiny little children and tiny infants that 
that is universally understood to be a miracle, you know, universally understood for us to, 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 to experience this lens into a deeper reality of what, what life is all about. And I, I really, I really think this is why Jesus comes as a child, but uh, I mean, uh, following up also on what you observe that crosses and sufferings come with joy. Well, to 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 see that in the life of Jesus, we only have to look at his birth. I mean, we see the difficulties that jo- uh, that Joseph and Mary experienced, and we f- we see the fears that they went through. We see the uncertainties in their life. We see Herod trying to snuff out the life of the Christ child. I mean, in the midst of the joy of the coming of Christ, there is also suffering and difficulty, and it's not. Everything is not peaceful forever. I mean, there's the moment, right, when the angels are there and they invite the shepherds and they're singing the Gloria and and it's a beautiful moment of of just uh, great glory uh, of God's presence in the world. But it's all surrounded by by difficulties and trials and fallen human nature. So if that's what our Christmases are like, Timory, if my <laughs> Christmas is sometimes surrounded by stress and difficulty and uncertainty, well. I'm in good company, right? This is what Jesus so also experienced mm-hmm. in his life. Yeah, I love that you give that comparison because it's a little more realistic when it comes to what was Christmas actually like. It's funny because I grew up in the mountains in Southern California and then didn't live in the mountains really, I don't know, the last 15 or so years. And Southern California does not have Christmas-esque weather that you hear about in the Christmas songs or in the Christmas movies. And yet the dry climate is very similar to what it was like in the Middle East. And it's, it's very arid. It's very much so not cold the way it is in other parts of the world. And similarly, so I hear people kind of complain that, well, you know, this isn't the type of weather I want for Christmas. This isn't the mood I want to set kind of the atmosphere for Christmas, but so too can just be the details of our life more so similar to what it was like, not just in the Holy Land, but around the Holy Family, Uh, the chaos, the turmoil that surrounded not just society at that time, but more specifically the Holy Family themselves. I think that's really significant when you point that out. Yet in the midst of it, we know that there was this joyful exaltation from heaven of angelic bodies coming to share the good news of the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting. There was a quote that I pulled up earlier from St. John of the Cross, whose feast day we celebrated last week. And if you're just joining me now, today on Trending is Father Matthew Spencer. He's a provincial of his congregation, the Oblates of St. Joseph, and you probably know him from St. Joseph's workshop that used to be heard here on Relevant Radio. This quote, Father, from St. John of the Cross is one that seems so lighthearted and pithy almost as if nothing in the world can go wrong or be difficult, but I think is rather inspiring for encouraging us to have a lighthearted attitude about the culture. And I think it's really cultivated from a deep prayer life, which we know St. John of the Cross is one who had a profound prayer life. He says, the soul of the one who serves God always swims in joy, always keeps holiday, and is always in the mood for singing. I would love to hear your thoughts on this quote. I think it's pretty strong. Always swims in joy, always keeps holiday, and is always in the mood for singing is the one who serves God. You know, it's interesting. Yeah, you sent me this this quote just a few minutes before we uh, we jumped on the show together, and I was thinking about the Christmas novena that we're we're observing in in my community, 
I'm an oblate of St. Joseph, and 150 years ago, our founder, St. Joseph Morello, was encouraging our men to, to, every Christmas, to observe a sung, chanted Christmas novena. And it goes from oh, December wow. 16th through December 24th. And it's, it's one of my favorite novenas. It, it is um, the sung uh, prophecies of the coming of the Messiah from the prophets in the Old Testament, and then also includes the Magnificat, and includes different um, chants that we sing together. And we come together, and each time we do it, it's, it's kind of difficult to sing, Timri, because there's a lot of singing, and there's a lot of chanting, and it takes, you know, 20 <laughs> How minutes. How long does it take? Okay, it's, yeah, it's about that's 20 I was minutes. wondering. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but we do it in our church after, after Mass with the people. And, uh, I mean, we all love it. You know, we come together. But the first few days are always a little rough because we're not, you know, we have to get the melodies back in our heads again. And, and it's a lot of singing. You have to breathe well and you have to, you know, be prepared for it. Uh, but there's something about singing that itself expresses the joy that's inside of us, right? There's something about singing that, um, that communicates more, more um, intuitively the joy that is within our hearts. And that's why I think what St. John of the Cross is getting at is um, is really true. Although I have to also say to me, I think I'm not always uh, in the mood for singing. You know, <laughs> I'm not always feeling like I'm swimming for joy or on a holiday. And that makes me wonder, well, I guess I really need to work on that, right? I mean, I guess if I'm serving God uh, and I know that his will is being found in the work that I do and the ministry that I uh, embark upon, then really, even if it's uh, I experience failure or difficulty along the way, even if I don't see the success that I want, I should be able to to rejoice, you know, to um, be immersed in that joy, and and then singing should come as a result of that. And maybe you know, maybe if that's not happening, it's not because the circumstances of my life have gone wrong. It's because my response to those circumstances is is not quite sanctified yet, right? Is not as holy. As it needs to be. It's funny you mentioned that because when I read this, I went, oh, that's very pithy. And sometimes it's easy to like kind of brush aside saint quotes like, oh, that's cute. And you move along. And I went, no, that's not just cute. That's actually a major challenge. And it's almost an examination of conscience in a certain respect, Father. And to think about how we're meant if we serve God, then we'll swim in joy always keep holiday and always be in the mood for singing as St. John of the Cross says that that's challenging. We don't always feel that way. And even when I was reading it, I feel like I had this like very serious focused face as I was preparing for the show. I went, Oh, like just even in this moment, there needs to be this leaven that Christ brings into our lives, that there's lightness that we're trusting in him. I even think about how we read in the new Testament about all of these serious circumstances that the apostles find themselves in or the early church or the saints and martyrs who have gone before us, yet they have this joy and this levity about them of total and complete trust in the providence of God. And I think more than ever, our culture needs that leaven in our lives of always acting as if we are keeping a holiday. You know, we are so focused on whether or not people do or don't take vacations. If someone can or can't afford a vacation, where this person went, where that person went, this comparison culture or this discomfort with what we don't have. And yet the whole idea is that we are always keeping a holiday within our hearts because we're with God in that place of rest and peace. Yeah, I, I think th there's a lot of evil happening in the world, right? We all know this. There's a lot of discouraging 
news we can hear about and a lot of upsetting uh, things that we can read about. Uh, but all of that is kind of an excuse. If, if we end up saying, well, I, how else am I supposed to be? Look at the state of the world. I, I have to be serious. I have to be discouraged. <laughs> I have to despair because how is it all going to get right? I think that's that's not true. You know, it, it, it's not and it's not a uh, it's not dismissing the fact that there are a troubling things happening in the world. It's the realization that we don't focus. We don't have to let our focus remain on those things as Christians, that our focus moves us from the cross to the resurrection. Always, always moves us from death to new life and from from uh, from uh, sin to redemption. Uh, and, and I hope that we can make this happen in our own lives. It's very easy for us, Tim Marie, to just focus on the negative things, to focus on the evils that are happening around us. And sometimes it feels almost satisfying to do that as if, well, now I'm taking things seriously by focusing on this. When I don't know that it's the right way we should be approaching the world. And I, again, I'm not trying to say we pretend that everything's fine. No, of course there's a lot we have to pray for. There's a lot of work we have to do as Christians to bring new life mm -hmm. to, to creation. But um, we can do that certainly uh, recognizing the joy that Christ brings to us in the midst of sin, in the midst of brokenness. That's Father Matthew Spencer here on Trending with Timory, diving to this topic of joy. I keep thinking of the words of Pope St. John Paul II, who said, God made us for joy. And he says, Jesus comes to teach us what it means to be fully happy and fully human. And to be fully happy is to enter into the grace of joy, not just into that emotion that comes and goes. We'll be right back here on Trending, getting ready for Christmas by talking about death, the four last things that the church guides us to ponder here at the end of this season. Let all mortal flesh keep silent as we're entering into this last week of Advent. The gaze of the church focuses on this idea of preparation. Even if you dive into the liturgy, the hours, it, it dives into this idea of being awake, be watchful, reject those desires of the flesh. Why? So that we can prepare the way for the Lord, so that we can enter into the great mystery and joy in life of Christ in heaven. Now, during this season of Advent and toward the end of the liturgical season, we start to hear a lot about end times and judgment and death and heaven and hell. And the church is taking our focus, which I think is so fascinating, at the end of the liturgical season, sorry, at the end of the entire um, church season, as we enter into All Souls Day, focusing on death focusing on interceding for those souls who have gone before us who aren't in heaven yet, and then right into the new season, the new year of the church, which starts right at the beginning of Advent, we start to enter into this joyful expectation of life with God, but 
it only happens through death. And so joining me today to talk about the four last things as the church refers to it as death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Today, we're taking up the topic of death, and we'll take up each topic during the week this week. Father Matthew Spencer is with me. You know him from St. Joseph's Workshop. If you're a longtime listener of Relevant Radio, he's also the provincial of his congregation, the Oblates of St. Joseph. Father Matthew, why does the church focus us so heavily on this idea of death and judgment toward the end of the year and then the beginning of the year, right as we're about to celebrate this joyful event of Christmas. I think I love the turn of the, of the year, Timory, both the liturgical year when we move from the previous year into Advent. I like the, the changing of seasons and the beginning of Advent, but also I, I really appreciate how a new calendar year really gives us an opportunity to restart and reset, you know, and to, to reconsider our lives and, and, and maybe re- and create new habits and let go of old vices. And I think this is partly why the church uses this time to, um, to help us to focus on the fi- these final four last things. And it's not because the, the church is macabre or trying to get us to think about dark, <laughs> difficult things. It's because it helps put everything into perspective. When we, when we recognize that all of us are going to die and all of us are going to face death ourselves, th- then it becomes a very real uh, thing that I have to grapple with and a real thing I have to confront. Uh, and we look to death as Christians, not as something that we need to be frightened of or, um, or just run away from. In fact, we look at it through the whole history of salvation as an effect of, of original sin. That's true. It, it, death came into uh, the world because of original sin, but also as a remedy, right? I mean, death is a remedy for the sinfulness that we experience here in this life. It's a, a transition from this life into the life to come. And so death itself um, is is something difficult that we face. It's something hard for us to embrace and accept, I think, because it's so final, because it's there's no going back, and we are, we're only going to experience it personally one time. But I think we we uh, the church invites us to to spend time on it. Honestly, Timory, because we don't think about it that much otherwise. <laughs> I mean, we go through our whole year, our whole life, thinking that we're immortal and thinking that we're going to overcome every difficulty and every trial. And, uh, and that's a dangerous, dangerous way to approach the world, right? We, we should be a little more um, aware of the possibilities that are before us, including that our life might be demanded of us sooner rather than, rather than later. So we focus on death, again, not to be people of death, but instead to realize that we're called to, to prepare for its finality and then, like Jesus, to allow death to lead us to new life and resurrection. And I love that idea, too, because we're we're entering into the season of pondering our death. And with that, we're celebrating the new life of Christ because we're preparing for life within Him. And it's like bookends at the end of the year, the church calendar and the beginning of the church calendar. It's preparing of okay, now it's time to enter into the innocence of Christ, into the perfection of Christ, into the grace of Christ. And I find, Father, that that calls us to have some goals during this Advent season. I find Advent to be my favorite liturgical season because it really is 
similar to Lent, but different. And it's this time to overcome our fear about death. I think it's a time to prepare for death by preparing for Christ and preparing for life in a way that's, I think, different from modern day psychology and culture that has this business mindset of, okay, I spent my whole life preparing for retirement, and then that's when I'm going to live. Yeah, our life is this idea of we spend our whole life preparing and working hard so that we can live to the fullness, both the life of Christ here on earth that we're entering into his life, but even more importantly, that we're preparing ourselves so that through his grace, we can enter into life with him in heaven. And so it's somewhat similar to that very hard work ethic that a lot of people have storing up this retirement, yet in a very different way, because we're focused on the new life to come in Christ in heaven. Yeah, it's true. I mean, there's something about uh, welcoming the Christ child into our homes and into our lives that has to also remind us of his life that is to come, right? And it's a relatively short life, 30 years that he spent on the earth, and then uh, 33 years, I should say, he spent on the earth, and then he he gave his life for for you and for me. And it's it's going to pass very quickly, our time from Advent and Christmas to Lent. And uh, and I think that's okay, because as you point out, Timory, I mean, uh, the coming of Jesus himself, he doesn't remain a child forever, right? He doesn't remain in the manger forever. He, he comes as a child, as vulnerable and humble and, and, uh, and a tiny little creature, completely dependent upon Joseph and Mary. But then eventually he comes to also show us how to accept and embrace our crosses and to, to follow him faithfully. And, and you know, it's interesting, Timur, as I'm talking about this, I'm thinking of the way that I've celebrated Christmas most years, which is in the Northern Hemisphere, because a few years ago I was in Peru for, for Christmas and it was a very different experience, just as you were talking about being in Southern California and the, the weather was different. In Peru, it's summer when, when Christmas is going on and it's warm and it's, uh, you know, you're at the, the, um, you're at the longest days of the year in the Southern Hemisphere, for example. And it made me appreciate being in the Northern Hemisphere and celebrating Christmas <laughs> because it's darker. It's, um, there's this sense that um, light needs to break through that darkness. And this is what Jesus, mm-hmm. he does. He comes into the world and he shines the light of his life into the darkness of our hearts. And I mean, obviously you can, and we should celebrate Christmas anywhere, whatever hemisphere you're in. But there's something I appreciate about being in the Northern Hemisphere that helps us to see this reality that Christmas is about Christ entering into a world of darkness and then bringing it light, right? And leading us to uh, live those lives better. So I I totally agree with you. I mean, Advent is this beautiful time when Christ breaks into our hearts. Sometimes there's darkness and sin there, and he wants to eradicate that from our lives. That's going to mean us cooperating with him, working on our habits, working on our, the bad vices that have crept into our life, working on creating a better relationship and commitment to him. That's Father Matthew Spender here, Spencer here on Trending with Timory. Father, 
the culture has an aversion to death. People in general have an aversion to death. We could talk about this in so many ways from the development of technology and this attempt to live forever, upload yourself to uh, wherever you want to upload yourself to online, to this aversion to death as almost as if darkness itself is death. I think that to people, darkness is just death. And so that's why there's this aversion to it. There's a desire not to talk about it. There's discomfort. Uh, It's why it's so upsetting if you think about a loved one who has been lost, which all of us mourn our loved ones who've gone before us. But there's almost this finality that is so dark. It's overwhelming. How do we break through that aversion to death and that idea that death itself is the darkness? Yeah, that's that's a tough one. I think it means becoming more comfortable with it, right? It becomes beco- it means becoming more aware that this is part of our experience as human beings. I I mean, for me as a as a priest, it means uh, I mean, I I had to learn this through helping people go through periods where they lost loved ones, uh, anointing those who are ill, spending time in hospital chaplaincies, for example, and you see death up close and you see you see how painful and difficult it can be. But you also see, I mean, I think a lot of the reason, Timory, that we fear death, that we, we, um, that we um, look upon it as a, as a curse is because of all of the things surrounding it. I mean, oftentimes we approach death and we haven't repented yet or we've lived a life that hasn't been as meaningful as it should. We approach death and sometimes we're isolated and alone and we don't have people around us to support us and help us. Or we support death and we don't have faith and we don't have a realization of what is to come. And boy, that sounds really depressing to me, right? I mean, if I don't have people around me, if I don't have, if I haven't lived a meaningful life, if I'm not a person of faith, then I can understand why, why death would be rather intimidating and very, uh, a very frightening experience. But for us as Christians, I hope that that those are not our experiences. I hope that we've repented, that we see the meaning of our lives as simple and as ordinary as it can be. I hope that we uh, are surrounded by people who love us, and that happens in large part by us working to create community and entering into community ourselves. Uh, I hope that we are nurturing that faith that we need to have. I hope that we're realizing that uh, a big part of not fearing death is recognizing that Jesus is with us in that moment and that we don't need to fear it because we can be immersed in the mercy of God and trust in his forgiveness. So I think there are a lot of ways that we can overcome that fear of death, principally through faith and principally through understanding what death is all about, but then also working through our fears, working through our own aversion to to death, which is oftentimes rooted in in our own weakness, our own brokenness, and our own wounds. Mm -hmm. And being a mom of little ones, my my oldest daughter is about to be three this week. And I just think about how even just conversations now, father surrounding death, really do matter. And even just squishing a bug or talking about an animal, not being afraid to say that that's dead. And it's simple and not explaining it at first. Kind of, they just start to get an understanding. But a lot of people will say, oh, that that." that bug's just sleeping or that bug just went somewhere else. And I know this is a total different approach uh, with regards sometimes to parenting for some people, but I think there's a serious need to not think about death as the darkness and the worst thing in the world. And it was funny because when my husband and I, you know, first started reading books or, you know, maybe killing a bug or something, um, 
we had maybe a little bit different of approach with regard to, you know, he, he was so sweet and you know, wanted to cherish that innocence and say, Oh, it just went to sleep. It's okay. And I said, no, tell her the bug's dead. And I love the sweetness and that desire to protect her. But I also saw like the serious simplicity of when we make something that is very real, um, almost as if it doesn't actually happen or as if it's the worst thing that could happen, we actually create as a culture or as parents this aversion. And I think that that's really become an important topic for me as a parent, but just even how we look at things in the culture in general, that if we look at this idea of hope when we approach the death of our loved ones, that fundamentally hope is an absolute gift from God. And this is why it's a theological virtue, because it's not something we can just grasp or take or have on our own. And so I think there's a practical side to the approach of death, but also a profoundly dependent side of grace to be able to handle, embrace, and endure not just our deaths, but the deaths of loved ones as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I'm uncomfortable with death, then of course my kids are going to be uncomfortable with it. You know, if I have a discomfort there and I haven't wrapped my head around this myself, then of course I'm going to talk to my children like, oh, they're just sleeping or, oh, let's not talk about that because, you know, we shouldn't. Uh, no, this is part of, it's part of life and, and it's part of God's creation, this life and death and the cycle that is there. But it's also a part of our lives as human beings who have immortal souls and our death is not the end of, of our existence, of course, but it is the end of this phase, this period of our life. And this is why we're called to reflect on this so, so intently, so carefully, uh, because we need to be prepared for what is to come. And how, how sad would it be, Timory, if I find myself so focused on this life and trying to save mm-hmm. my presence here or trying to you know, make myself live as long as possible in this life, and meanwhile, I'm forgetting about preparing myself for the life to come. I mean, that is uh, just contrary to what we as Christians understand our human lives to be about. And so any reflection on death for us as Christians is ultimately preparing us to enter into that new life in Christ. That's Father Matthew Spender, Spencer here on Trending with Tim Ray. This is a kickoff of our series on the four last things as we enter into the end of this Advent season, preparing the way for Christ. Tomorrow, we'll dive into the topic of judgment. Have you ever wondered about your judgment, what the church teaches? We'll discuss that tomorrow here on Trending. Father Matthew, thank you so much for joining us. That's been Father Matthew Spencer, the provincial of his congregation, the Oblates of St. Joseph, and also the host of St. Joseph's Workshop that used to be heard here on relevant radio. I'll be right back to talk about the retired naval officer who beheaded a satanic so-called holiday display. We'll be right back here on Trending. Oh, come, oh, come, 
Emmanuel. I hope you're enjoying some of the best Advent hymns. My favorite are O Come, O Come, Emmanuel and O Come, Divine Messiah. There are other fantastic ones. Jim, a producer here, trending, has been doing a wonderful job helping us in the spirit of the season enjoy some of the best Advent hymns to prepare us for Christmas. I, you know, depending on the year, I've been less on the Christmas so- music side up until Christmas and more on the Advent side. This year we mixed it up a bit more because my girls are Advent and Christmas babies, hugging Christmas. We have a lot going on in this next week or so here. And I have found it adorable as my three-year-old is so excited. Out of nowhere, I don't know who taught her to ask for movies. She doesn't even watch a ton of movies. She's asking to watch Christmas movies. And even though she's obsessed with the wheels on the bus, praise the Lord. Can I just thank you, Jesus, that I'm getting a break from the wheels on the bus? Because she's not asking to hear that song 20 times a day. She's asking to listen to Christmas music, which is far more diverse than the music she normally asks for. So I'm embracing the Christmas music season as long as it will last with her. But happy Advent. We're in these final days and an interesting topic that I actually really do believe is very relevant to this Advent season. News broke last week that a retired naval officer beheaded a satanic so-called holiday display. And I was fascinated by this. So retired Navy officer Michael Cassidy. He's been all over the news and he's been charged with fourth degree criminal mischief. Uh, People have been raising funds for him. Last I saw the attempt to raise funds for his legal fees was $10,000. They far exceeded that and had gone far beyond $75,000. This was a display that was at the Iowa State Capitol during the season of preparation for Christmas. And the Iowa State Capitol, someone there decided to put up a satanic holiday display. Now, I don't even want to repost any of the photos because we're just spreading the images of false gods around. But it is really interesting to me, this story. So Michael Cassidy didn't harm anyone. I just want to be really clear about this. He didn't harm anyone in the beheading of the satanic display there at the Capitol. And he turned himself in. He didn't deny or anything. He turned himself right into the police. And I think it's interesting because if we look at sacred scripture, if we really have read the Old Testament into the New Testament, it's all about destroying false gods and building up and orienting ourselves toward right worship of the one true God. And his comment said with regard to this display, he said, my conscience is held captive to the word of God, not to bureaucratic decrees. And so I acted. He, in his, on his ex formerly Twitter profile, his, and by the way, he was canceled by Twitter for a season of time at some point between mid last week and this weekend, and then was reinstated at some point. Why he was canceled, that, that's a whole interesting topic, but he posted online the verses from 1 Peter 5. If you know them, it's one of my favorite lines in sacred scripture where St. Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, be sober and alert. Your opponent, the devil, is prowling about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Resist him solid in your faith. And Michael Cassidy, the retired naval officer who beheaded the satanic holiday display at the Iowa State Capitol, he posts this as 
one of the things online after the destroying of this holiday display. And I just kept thinking about it over the last day or so about how important it is that we recognize the reality of Satan, the reality that we are called to enter into life with Christ, build up life with Christ, and choose Christ, and reject all those things that are false gods within our own lives. Now, from Deuteronomy to Maccabees to Daniel to Esther, all of these books of the Old Testament make it very clear that the heroes of the Old Testament had no place for worshiping people who were not God. They had no place for worshiping false idols. They had no place for worshiping false gods. They had no place for bowing down in a prayerful, pious way to kings. Look at the story of Daniel. He would not bow down as if the king was God and he was punished for it. Look at Queen Esther, whose people were being punished. We have the whole story of Esther that centers around her cousin who would not bow down and worship other gods who continue to maintain the worship of the one true God. And so as we look at these stories, even especially Maccabees, which again is that end book of the Old Testament, Maccabees is all about reorienting the people to God. And so that meant destroying the false idols, preparing a place of worship. And so when we see read this story that's on the in the news about how this retired naval officer beheaded a satanic holiday display, well, I think it is important to note he didn't harm anyone. He dutifully turned himself in because he recognized there was some level of disturbance of peace and harming other people's objects. But at the end of the day, this whole topic centers around the idea of right worship and how fundamental it is all throughout salvation history, all the way to today. Now, I want to bring this to the relevance of ourselves and the season we're in of Advent, the season of preparing the way for the Lord in our own lives. And the question I'm asking myself after seeing what this man was willing to risk and put out there, facing serious legal fees and punishment, he he was willing to destroy false gods represented in our culture. Scandalous false gods. Scandalous, scandalous and leading astray images of the antithesis of what we are meant to be worshiping. And so my question for myself, and I hope you'll pose as well, is what false gods need to be destroyed in my own life? What have I exposed myself to? What are those outright awful sins that I need to, by the grace of Jesus Christ, eradicate from my own life? I think that I challenge you to ponder what are those areas in this last week leading up to Christmas that I need to expose, name, reject, take to confession, amend my life for and make reparations for. The season of Advent is a season of preparing the way for the Lord. It's a season of reparation. It's a season that we go to confession because we're preparing ourselves to attach ourselves 
more perfectly to Christ, which means detaching ourselves from all of those false gods, those false idols in our lives. The first commandment is to worship God and God alone. And yet I think this is one of the commandments that we break more often than we realize. There's a story of a friend of mine who went to confession and she confessed at the beginning of her confession that she'd broke the first commandment. And father interrupted her in the middle of her confession. He said, well, if you broke the first commandment, you've broken them all. Do you realize how grave this is? And father's response truly startled her truly startled her because even though she was taking it to confession, she was doing the right thing. She was begging God's mercy and grace. She recognized it. She recognized it, but she didn't realize how severe it was. And I challenge us to really ponder that first commandment. I am the Lord, your God. You shall have no strange gods before me. You may not have an idol in your house that you're worshiping, but there are plenty of idols that we set before God, that we set before prayer, that we set before going to mass. We, and we set before doing the will of God. And so during the season of Advent, I challenge you to destroy the false gods in your own life. It's something I'm especially diving deep into in this last week, this Advent season of preparation, the season where we're weeding out those things, carving out a space that Christ might enter. And I challenge you to just think, in order to make a space, it sometimes hurts to take those things out that we need to bring, that we need the room to bring Christ into. And so don't be afraid to enter into the pain, to expose those false gods, name them, reject them, take them to confession, amend your life, enter into reparation, and allow our Lord Jesus Christ this Christmas to fill that space with joy and peace for the life to come. This is Timray from Trending with Timray. You know the story of the three wise men, but what about the star of Bethlehem? Was it a real star? Join me Tuesday on Trending as we prepare to celebrate Christmas and these final days of Advent. We're taking a deep dive into the four last things the church asks us to ponder. Death, judgment, heaven, and hell during this Advent season. So join me daily, 6 p.m. Central, on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app as we prepare the way of the Lord.